You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast providing you with everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hello, and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Law Careers Net podcast. This episode is about the two words that might send a shiver down the spine of any aspiring lawyer. You've heard it thrown around a lot. Law firms say you need to demonstrate it in your applications. What even is it and how do you get it? It's commercial awareness and we're going to be running through what it is, how to develop it, how to demonstrate it in applications and an example of an issue that you can pick apart in a commercial way. We'll get to all of that very shortly, but first, here are some legal news stories you might need to know about. Uh, Thanks Beth. Yes, a few news stories to cover this week. Uh, Firstly, the government has predicted that the impact a no-deal Brexit would have on the legal profession, so it's got together a lot of experts to produce a report on what's going to happen to the UK economy if there is a no-deal Brexit, and the report says that uh, exiting the EU without a trade deal would see reduced access to the EU markets for UK law firms and increased regulatory barriers for law firms too. So it took the legal profession as a case study, so it's really interesting for lawyers in particular In particular, this uh, study. It also said that the end of free movement and the end of mutual recognition of qualifications would also have a negative impact on law firms, as well as the wider services sector, which makes up around 80% of the UK's economy. So the overall prediction was pretty gloomy if there is no deal. It said that the, uh, the government thinks that the UK economy will be 9% smaller than it would have been otherwise if there is a no deal. So you can see why the majority of the UK legal profession is probably, it's fair to say, favours a deal or a softer Brexit. Uh, Crime barristers have been in the news again in the last couple of weeks because they have said that they're going to take action on their own against unreasonable working hours if uh, judges and the judiciary fail to heed their concerns. So the chair of the Criminal Bar Association, Chris Henley, uh, has said that judges have complete disregard, uh, this is a quote, complete disregard for reasonable work-life balance boundaries that we routinely tolerate. Uh, And he said that the judiciary has been uncooperative in listening to what the Criminal Bar Association is saying. So he said, we sincerely want to work together on on this, but if we have to, we will come up with our own template for the hours we will reasonably work. So you could be seeing a walkout by criminal barristers in the near future or just further clashes between them and the judiciary as they refuse to do the kind of extra evening work that judges expect them to do. Uh, Next, law firms uh, need to introduce quotas, according to Dana Dennis-Smith, the founder of the First 100 Years Project, if they're going to achieve uh, promotions of women to partner level uh, in equal numbers to men. Obviously, it's International uh, Women's Week uh, and International Women's Day on the 8th of March at the time of recording this. Uh, So Dana Dennis-Smith said that structural inequalities that hold women back from reaching senior positions in equal numbers to men... uh, uh, need to be dealt with through uh, structural measures such as quotas. Uh, she said, self-regulation doesn't work and will only take us so far. So what we have learned from history is that change sometimes needs to be forced. Now obviously quotas are a very uh, controversial topic because some women feel that they are patronising and that 
other people would feel that women have only been promoted uh, to senior positions through quotas because they're there to make up numbers. Of course, the, uh, the uh, other side of that argument is that if uh, the playing field is already not level and is structurally unfair, then why should women have to continue competing on a playing field that doesn't favour them, that has nothing to do with their skills or qualities and is uh, just biased against them because they happen to be women. Uh, and finally, Sheffield Hallam University has become the first university to set up a fully functioning law firm so its students can gain work experience during their studies. So this is a law firm that is staffed by a couple of full-time solicitors but is otherwise attached to the university and is mainly staffed by students. So. Sheffield Hallam University Law is a not-for-profit uh, alternative business structure and it's been fully licensed by the Solicitors Regulation Authority as a law firm. So it's going to allow students to incorporate practical work experience into every year of the law degree that they do there and the students will also be supervised by solicitors and their work experience will be signed off. Uh, that might even help their work experience count towards their qualifying as solicitors after 2021 when the solicitors qualifying exam is introduced. So it'll be interesting to see if more uh, universities take up this in innovative sort of new approach to giving their students work experience. So what actually is commercial awareness? Put simply, commercial awareness is understanding the business environment within which a law firm and its clients operate. It's knowing that law firms advise clients who operate in the business world and that a law firm is a business in itself. Firms need to be up to date with the business issues that might affect their clients, but they've also have their own business drives and motives. Obviously, if you're applying to a law firm, you are not expected to be a business guru but you will be expected to firstly know what the firm's key practice areas are, who their clients are, and if they have any plans for mergers or expansion. That comes under understanding that law firms are businesses and they have to make money. A commercially aware lawyer will appreciate that most work has to make the firm a profit and understand how firms bill their clients. If you can reflect this in your applications or at interview, that is a good start. As also mentioned, the other part to commercial awareness is understanding who your clients are and what their aims are. The job of a good lawyer is to give good advice to your clients. To do that, you need to understand how their businesses work, which sectors they operate in, and what they are trying to achieve or what their problem is when they come to you for legal advice. Your clients will want to know that you can achieve them their aims and that the service you have provided represents value for money. But more than that, commercial awareness is looking at things from different points of view. As a lawyer, you will need to be able to consider issues from various different angles as you work out the best course of action when settling a dispute or working on a deal. So, in other words, you could say that commercial awareness is common sense when making a decision or offering advice. Having said all this, we know that it can be difficult to really understand what commercial awareness means in context. So I chatted to LCN's Matt Broadbent and he took a new story that you might have heard about and explained exactly how to dissect and analyse this in a commercial sense. I'm sitting here with Matt and Matt's been having a look at 
a current case study in the airline industry, which has some quite interesting commercial insights as to how a sector can develop and change. So Matt, what have you been having a look at then? Okay, Beth, well, I'm looking at the recent decision by Airbus to axe production of their uh, A380 um, superplane. Um, I actually uh, went on one of these planes for the first time over Christmas, and it was actually truly amazing. And this, um, when it was announced uh, in 2003 and when it started um, uh, flying in 2007, was the new, most modern, most amazing um, type of plane in the market. Now, the re- Airbus and Boeing have, have effectively been a duopoly in the aircraft manufacturer industry for a, for a few years now. Um, Boeing always had the upper hand as far as the mega jets went with their 747, which has been around since I think the 60s, or certainly the 70s. Um, and this was Airbus's chance to, uh, to, to compete here. Now, the rationale of the A380, a, a mega plane, was that um, with the model of airlines, you have what they call the, uh, the, the hub and spoke system, where you have um, very big air, air, airports where um, you'll have large numbers of pe- people flying from A to B and then perhaps finishing their flight on a, on a lesser plane to a, to a more local area. But the big transport is between the, between the hubs. Um, clearly, uh, what that means is that you've got a capacity issue, and the big capacity issue is always the actual airports. The number of t- slots you had for um, landing the planes and the number of places you could put the planes. So the idea of the A380 was that you would be able to cram absolutely zillions of people, over 500 people, actually up to 900 people onto one of these planes and that would mean that you had a, a highly profitable way of moving a lot of people efficiently and solving your key problem that continues to this day um, in the airline industry. So why have they decided to act the capacity of this um, airplane then? Well, the reason they've decided to stop producing it um, is that the, the market has changed. Um, uh, one, one of the things uh, has been the issue just of, of how um, much fuel they take. So that's got an environmental impact. You know, people are quite conscious of the... Um, you know, the, the fuel fuel issues and, and global warming, uh, though of course you know the, the cost of fuel per passenger tra- moved was 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 relatively low, but still this was a four engine plane, um, and at the time it was the cutting edge technology. What's actually happened is that we've now seen other entries into the market, particularly the Boeing seven eight seven jetliner, which is a two um, engine plane uh, made of even more state of the art light materials that can actually fly, instead of 500-odd people, two to three, 250 to 300 people on very long distances. And there are other, there are other planes in the market, some from Airbus themselves. Um, what that means is that um, you've actually got a lot more scope for what you can do. Because if you, can, if you only have to fill 250 to 300 spaces, that's a lot easier than having to fill 500 to make your journey um, economically viable. So... You know, basically, the Airbus, in a way, has become too big. The, the other issue is that, especially as um, passengers have become more used to going point to point rather than a hope, uh, spoken hub, um, with greater demand, you know, a lot of the budget airlines do that. You've got a lot more airports in play um, that can actually 
take these smaller planes that the A380 won't be able to do. So uh, really what's happened is that they have, um, you know, they, they've been overtaken. They, they, the, what seemed like a brilliant idea at the time never really took off. Emirates were their biggest customer. You had the likes of Air France, BA, uh, Qantas as well involved, but many of the hoped for orders didn't actually ever arise. And you know, Air, Airbus have had to take the commercial decision that that simply that, that this is not something that's viable. So even though they spent twenty five billion pounds um, on uh, developing this airport they, uh, airplane, they've they've had to cut their losses. They've had to say this is never going to make us money. We've got to write that that money off. We've actually got to change our business model, change what we're going to be making to suit our market. So. You know the the lesson here, I guess, is you know the, even the best technology, the best ideas, can offer founder just flounder just because of the the nature of the uh, the business situation. So, what are the different ways of looking at this issue and kind of pulling it apart? Um, and I know we've spoken before about the kind of steeple way of looking at things. If we can go through what steeple means, if we can remember. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, steep steeple is added a little new mic to. Um, to, to give us the, um, the the various aspects that you might want to be thinking about social, technological, economical, environmental, political, legal, and ethical. So if we just whip through those social, well, I guess one of the issues is always going to be with a, with a, with, with you know companies ceasing to do something is what are the implications, for instance, for jobs? Well. Uh, there's, I mean, and, and there's the, the Airbus wings are made in in North Wales in something called Broughton, I think, or Broughton. I'm not sure how you say it. Um, there apparently aren't going to be massive job losses there because Airbus makes dozens of other kinds of planes. So, in theory, they uh, that those um, those those jobs will be reassigned elsewhere, which is which is clearly good news. On the technical side, you know, this is as I've described before. This is actually all about how technology will change the economics of a market and what was the be all and end all of technology can rapidly become redundant or or overtaken. Um, economics, well, this whole thing is economics, you know. Are you making a profit? Um, if you're not making a profit, even if you've got a load of sunk costs, when do you, when do you duck out? And, and similarly, environmental, um, which is intimately linked with the technological, you've got to try and um, you know if you're if you're if you're using fuel, if you can use less fuel, you know, a that's a plus on the economic side, but it's also a big plus on the environmental side, and you know, and and the environmental side is the economic side. Um, political, I mean, political is quite interesting as well. Um, the the A380 actually had a ruling against it um, last year, I think it was, um, about state subsidy from um, the EU, which was brought by the US. Um, they said that basically the EU had, had subsidised the development of the A380 and put Boeing at a disadvantage. Um, clearly it was, a, um, it was an opportunity to create lots of manufacturing jobs in France, in, in, um, in England uh, and a number of, number of other countries. Um, uh, but actually the WTO rules that the, the, there was unnecessary state aid and there was some recompense. That one was sort of rumbling on. Um, so actually on the, on the legal front as well, which is the next one, you know, that might make some of those issues go away because um, you know, if, if they're not making it anymore, then uh, it, it, whether it's subsidised or not becomes moot. Um, finally, you know, sort of ethical, um, I guess, you know, you can, you, you, again, we're back to perhaps something around the environment. Um, what's the ethics of the whole uh, of the whole airline industry? That's, I think, a completely different can of worms. Um, but the reality is, uh, if you are uh, going to be indulging in a um, an industry that's burning lots of fossil fuels, 
at least it's the ethics of it, hopefully are um, are, are going to match up with the economics, and you're going to try and burn a bit less. Um, I'm not sure any. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure where we we really are going to look at the ethics of the of the companies. They, this, this sounds like a lot of hard-nosed business decisions. Uh, if there's an ethical upside, happy days. If there's not, well, you know, let's spot what it is. Um, but you know, I think uh, as, as as I say, with this steeple system, you can actually just use those categories to just to have a think about what some different angles might be. And I don't think all aspiring lawyers kind of need to know about lots of commercial topics to this kind of extent or this depth. But I think this is a good example of staying commercially aware. Would you agree that if people should have one or two maybe stock topics they know well, they know about, or should they kind of have a the shallow knowledge of all the commercial <laughs> industries? Yeah. What's going on? As as I as I always say, uh, it's it's something of a, a of a state of mind. You know, if you're actually following the news, uh, you it's it's very different. Just sort of hearing, you know, in this case, they're stopping making that plane. You know that doesn't really tell me much. If you, if you actually look into it and use this steeple system, you can very rapidly actually gain much more of insight. It's actually a, a way of thinking. I mean, just just to, to, to give you an idea of my my um, preparation for this, I you know the reason I was interested in this was one I went on this plane in the first place. Secondly, um, there was a there was you know there was, I read the, the the article in I think it was the Guardian, and there was a, then a follow up article that gave me some of the background which I thought was quite intriguing. I listened to a podcast on um, World Business um, uh, Reports on the World Service um, and I actually had a look at a, an article in The Economist. So that's, you know, there's two, two articles in a podcast where my knowledge comes from. Collectively they probably took me about 10 minutes to listen to or read. So, uh, you know, you can go a long way quite quickly um, if you're thinking in the right way. Thank you. Every week I put together the Commercial News Roundup, which is published in the LCN News section. And that's been a really great exercise for me to make sure that I'm keeping up with what's going on in the business world. I would definitely recommend to keep an eye out for those because they offer a really useful snapshot of things that you should know about, and they can be a useful entry point for further research. For example, last week I wrote briefly about BritBox, which is the online streaming service that ITV and the BBC are launching later this year. Just thinking about the repercussions that this could have on businesses in the industry and rivals, especially Netflix, as well as where the law might be involved in these plans is a good way to test your commercial awareness. Similarly, M&S and Ocado have agreed a £750 million deal that will see M&S replace Waitrose as Ocado's main supply partner. That's a massive deal that will undoubtedly affect the very competitive supermarket industry. And did you know that Sainsbury's and Asda are currently trying to push through a merger of the two chains, but the competitions and markets authorities holding them up at all stops? Stories like these are fantastic examples of news that you can easily access and using Matt's steeple technique, you can find a wealth of ways to analyse the issue and link it to a firm, area or even your own interests. Demonstrating commercial awareness in applications doesn't have to be an in-depth case analysis. If you can concisely show that you know the sectors that the firm works in or particular clients or cases, that is a good first step. Perhaps there is a recent news story that has particularly interested you and you can relate to your interest in a practice area that the firm works in. And don't forget that with tight word limits, firms don't expect you to write long essays about business issues on the application form. It's more about showing that you are aware of commercial awareness 
as you're aware of what the firm does and how you can fit in with the firm. Your excellent commercial awareness knowledge can be saved for the assessment centre and the interview stage. Here at Law Careers Net, we've got everything you need to know about commercial awareness. So not only do we have the commercial news roundups that I've mentioned that I write every Thursday, but every week we have a commercial question article written by lawyers at top law firms. And these really provide crucial insight into how law firms relate to the needs of their clients. Recent articles cover topics including risk management in M&A, Tesco Bank's cyber attack and sexual harassment in the workplace. We also have a brand new commercial awareness section, which is kindly sponsored by Kirkland and Ellis, and that's a central hub of everything to do with being commercially aware. Matt's wonderful video about commercial awareness is there, which you should definitely watch, as are links to recent blog posts from our bloggers on their take on commercial awareness. Please make sure you check out that section and use it as a central resource in your search for commercial awareness enlightenment. And obviously, the other thing to do is to make sure that you've signed up to the website and receive our weekly email newsletter, LTN Weekly, which sends everything you need to know from that week direct to your inbox. And I'll put links to all of those things in the podcast description box. That's it from us in this episode. Thank you for listening and good luck.